everyone. Good morning, Susan. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's a new day today, amen? amen? Filled with new mercies. I hope over the last months, however long you've been coming to New Day, that you are learning how to receive from your Father. It's an it, it's a oxymoron at times when we talk about enjoying God and receiving from God because for many of our lives, we're always taught a certain perception of God and it has led us to be very fearful of him or to be very, um, you know, let's just keep our distance from that mighty, holy, righteous God who is probably very, very frustrated with all of us as humanity. And I'm, I'm hopefully, I think, doing a good job if, if I look back and go, man, they've started to believe in the goodness of God more. Um, and I encourage you all to continue to learn how to receive from God each and every day. Uh, just a one-time message. It's not a series that we're going to do, and I believe it's a, a message that uh, just as of yesterday, God put on my heart specifically um, for those who are here today, and it's this idea of refusing to settle. Refuse to settle for a lack of a zeal of God, that oftentimes life has a way of forcing our hand into a place where we just accept what life has to offer. Refuse to settle for a lack of peace in your life. If you don't have peace, refuse to settle until you find the peace that God has for you. Refuse to settle for just going through the, emo the emotions of Christianity. That's not what this is about. It's not about doing church. It's not about going to church, not trying to be a Christian. This is about a relationship with the Father, you becoming a son to the Father and representing Him wherever you go. Refuse to settle for what life has to offer you. And refuse to settle for not being a fruit-bearing Christian, for feeling like you, you don't have what it takes to do what God has called you to do, to, to refuse to settle, to not feel like you're qualified for what God has brought into your life. Refuse to settle for a life that is governed by selfishness. And the last thing I wrote here is refuse to settle for anything less than what God truly has for you. That's the heart of this message is that there's something less than what God has for us and many times we just settle for that less because that's enough for just what we need. And I want to talk to you this morning. There's going to be two different sections of this message. The first one, and, and thank you for my good friend Tony back there. He said, Justin, stop being sorry for going long. He said, stop being insecure about it. I think that's how you said it, right, Tony? You said, and then you added your big baby, right, at the end? Um, but I appreciated him being open with me that I, I, I do have a very um, sensitivity to not wasting anybody's time. Um, and so I want to make sure that I get what I get across without taking too much of your time. But today, there's two sections of this thing and I'm trying to do my best to help you understand this balance between the rest that Jesus wants to give each and every one of us and also the fight of faith that we are called to fight. There's a balance between the two, and we're supposed to embrace both sides of life. And I was talking with John today, and I mentioned to him, I feel like people struggle with both. How to receive the rest that Christ wants to give us, but also how to fight the good fight of faith that we have been called to fight. 
And I truly believe that if we are going to get some of them, some, through some of the most difficult moments that we're going to face in life and overcome the challenges that are already before us, that we're going to have to get a better perception of who our Father is. And that we have to remind ourselves, and I hope that you don't ever get tired of me saying this, that God is always good, He always has your best in mind, and He's always setting you up to succeed in what He's called you to do. Now, I may be naive, but I've chosen at, at some point in my journey with God, I've chosen that is what I'm going to believe. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what I experience, no matter what happens to a family member in my life, no matter what happens financially, I'm always going to believe this one thing. He is always good. And he always has my best in mind and he's always setting me up to succeed at what he's called me to do. And because I've chosen to believe that, everything now that I experience is filtered through that one lens called God is good. In Psalms 34, verse number 8, David was writing these words. Uh, can we just give it up? John, Johnny Boy is like 90 yards back there. So he said he can barely hear me. So the fact that he heard me just say Psalms 34. Can we give him a nice round of applause? He's somewhere way back there. So um, it says, oh, taste and what? See that the Lord is good. This is an experiential thing. It's like you have to go and see it for yourself. You have to go and taste it for yourself. As much as I can tell you all day long, and I, I'm, I'm com completely convinced of this, I cannot exaggerate the goodness of God, no matter how hard I try. But David says these words, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. You know, it's difficult to put your trust in a God that you don't fully believe is always good. Because you're not sure if he'll be good again. And you're not, you can't fully put your trust in someone that does not always have your best in mind. That you think that God maybe has it out for you or God is about to just strike you off this earth. You know what? I am done with you. But if you realize he always has your best in mind. So when he took the children of Israel, instead, instead of going down that 11 day uh, path to the Mesopotamia, instead of going 11 days, he took them where? Through the wilderness. Now, what kind of God would think like that? But the commentators of that passage in Exodus chapter 17 says, God took them the way to the wilderness, lest they come upon attack and they retreat and go back to Egypt. God's, God's already been where you want to go. God's already gone down the path of the one that you think you should go down. And so sometimes we are so convinced and we lean on our own understanding that I need to go this way. This is what God has for me. And God goes, no, I'm going to take you this way because I want to reintroduce who I am to you. And I want to now form in you who you are. And that path that's a straight path may not always do what God wants us to do in our life. And so he took the children of Israel through the wilderness. This is grandmas and grandpas babies and toddlers these are people who are not fully equipped for what they're about to go through and God saw fit that it was the best for them and then he always is setting you up to succeed in what he's called you to do and so we are to rest I'm not talking about on a bed 
I'm talking about internally. There's a place that we are to rest in who God is for us and also to rest in his goodness. Let me just explain that for a moment because when life does what life does, which is throw curveballs, it turns us around, it causes things to look bleak. When life does that, my position is to rest in who? The God that is for me. And that's why David wrote Psalms 23, and it's one of the most comforting psalms that you could ever read during a tra- challenging time. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He actually makes me to lie down. And so we have this God who wants to be something for us in the midst of challenges, in the midst of greatness, all the good things that are going on. God wants to be something for us, but he also wants us to rest in his goodness, to know that it's his goodness that is always um, uh, uh, in pursuit of us, Psalms 23 verse 6 says, that his goodness is following us all the days of our life. And that we are able now to rest in God, and that no matter what you're facing, rest is a promise that all of us, rest of your mind, rest of your, mo- your soul, rest of your spirit, that there's a place of rest 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that God says it's available for all of you. It's always available. And so what does it mean to be at rest? I believe this is on the screen. It means this, to be unmoved, to be unhinged, and in total peace regardless of the circumstances. As I was in our, we have a little, I guess it's a three seasons room. It's all screened in. And what I can do when we're in that room, me, my father-in-law, and my wife, we play cards there a lot of the nights. And you know what we can rest from? Mosquitoes. (laughs) We can see them. We know there's millions out there. And every time it rains, they just produce more and more babies somehow during the rain. But we can sit in there, and, and, and although it's a funny illustration, it is so true. I thought about it this morning as I was praying there, is that I can rest from what I can see out there. It's the same thing with the the rest that Jesus comes to give us. He says, hey, everybody who's weary and heavy laden, I want you to come to me. I have something to give to you, and it's a screen porch. It means that you still see everything, the storm you still see, some of the things trickle in, but those nasty little demonic little mosquitoes, amen, (laughs) they can't come in. And you can rest from knowing that you don't have to be consumed in your mind by them biting you. It's the same thing as that God wants us to be in a rest knowing that you're in a chaos. He didn't change the storm. He didn't fix everything out there. He didn't rid your world of mosquitoes. He just put you in a place where you can rest. And some of you, amen, and some of us are challenged by that, meaning that our circumstances are so real to us that, hey, if I'm going to be real, now think about this. If I'm going to be real, I'm going to be real about what I'm feeling during my circumstances, not real about the fact that God gave me rest. My question to myself all the time is, what's more real? What God promised me or what I'm going through? Because if I want to be real, I can be real. But who am I going to be real according to? Doesn't mean we pretend. There's no lying about what I'm going through. There's no uh, trying to get... Uh, make it paint a, a more colorful picture. No, it is what it is. What my daughter facing is what my daughter's facing. What Sarah and I are facing, that's what we're facing. It's, it's a reality. Like, that's what we're working with. But there's also reality of what God has promised me. 
And it's in that place that I rest, which means this, I'm unmoved by what I'm going to experience, that I'm unhinged. How many have been, I guess unhinged is bad in some terms, like, <laughs> let's say we're hinged, okay? We're unmoved, but we're hinged to something good, is, and we're in total peace regardless of what we're facing. It doesn't mean you don't feel something. Doesn't mean it doesn't make you cry. Doesn't mean that it doesn't weigh on your shoulders. It just means that there is something that is a gift that is promised to you in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of the pain that you can receive, that when you receive it, it begins to put this pressure upon the pressure that you're facing. And that's what me and Roberta were talking about last Wednesday is that sometimes that pressure just comes here. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't completely get relieved. You know it's here, but it's not crushing you. Why? Because maybe God's presence or his peace or his goodness is giving a thousand one pound pressure here, but the stress and the depression, and the anxiety is giving a thousand pressures this way. And so it's just keeping it above the shoulders so you don't break. And then there's times where it just lifts completely and that's where you can skip and that's where you can raise your hands. That's where everybody's like, man, what did they smoke this morning? And it's just because the pressures are different. And so there's different place of rest when it comes with God. But I truly believe this to be true is that rest is a weapon. And it's a weapon that I'm going to use when the enemy comes in the direction of my life. Because he is coming to make sure that I'm moved by what I see. He's whispering all the time convincing me trying to persuade me that what I see is way more serious than what I'm making it out to be and that what I see is not going to end it's only going to get longer and harder and more severe and so what happens is we start to panic and we start to freak out why because even Jesus said do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has issues of its own. There's a, a friend of mine, his name is Dione Victorin, one of the closest friends of my life. He shared an illustration. It's so simple, but it made so much sense. Imagine you're driving in 100 yards. There's a street light, okay? And you see 100 yards away and the street light turns red and the car is gonna pass. Do you slam on your brakes? No. You're how long, far away? A hundred yards. That's a football field. What do you do? You keep on proceeding toward the light, knowing the car's gonna pass, the light's gonna turn a different color, and you can be cautious about it, but you don't hit your brakes. And many times, the enemy is gonna throw something out in front of us, and we're gonna freak out, hit the brakes, panic. Everybody hits the dashboard. We're all bruised in our chest, and we're like, did you see it? The red light, did you see what's gonna happen? And we, get, we start to freak out about what we think might happen. Rather than just realize, the Lord says, just proceed with caution. Because the light will change, the cars will pass, and it will be open time to drive freely again. And so I realize with God, don't worry about tomorrow, that rest is a weapon that I use. And so what are we to rest in? I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I screw up, folks. I mess up. I, I sin. I cross the line at times. But I rest internally knowing, Jesus, you paid for my sin. 
And this is not just about me going to heaven. This is about me embracing my Savior and me allowing the Christ who died for me now to live in me so I can live this life for him. And so I rest in the finished work of Christ. I can rest in God's goodness when I hear bad news. What am I resting in? The bad news is bad news, but I'm resting in that God, you're good. And God, somehow you're going to turn all things around for the good of those who love you, so I rest in his goodness. I can rest when I don't see my prayers answered. That was the question that Summer and I were talking about. Dad, why hasn't he answered my prayer? I, I don't know. But I just rest knowing that he will. I rest knowing that he's good. I rest knowing that he has ways that I cannot sometimes fathom. He has thoughts that I don't fully uh, understand. But you know what? I rest even when my prayers are not answered the way that they are in the time that I hope that they would be. I can rest when I don't feel God. How many been there this morning? I can rest when I don't know how things are going to work out. I can rest when I don't know who to turn to. And I can rest when all I want to do is scream. Who just wanted to scream before? And so we are to become rest-minded and not circumstance-minded. It doesn't mean we deny this. Where's June at? Oh, she's out there. June, as you know, has been facing off with challenging things physically. She's one of the most joyful people you will ever meet. Sincerely, truly joyful. Um, but I, I just, my encouragement to her is, hey, you know what? Don't rest until God comes through. I mean, don't, 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 don't be moved by your circumstances. Did I just say that wrong? Don't be unhinged until God comes through. Is, is come at a place where you can rest, June, that he's good. And that although your body aches and although there's times where she's completely depleted of energy, she can rest in God's goodness. And some of you in this room, you just, man, you don't know what, how circumstances are going to turn out. You're fearful that they're going to be what the enemy said that they're going to be. And so you're in freak out mode internally. And I hope that this message is something that will encourage you this morning, but also equip you on how to handle that. Remember, there's two parts to this message. The idea of learning how to rest, but also the idea of how to fight this fight that we've been called to fight. I can tell you one thing about the enemy. He's coming. He's coming to steal what is yours. You can't steal something that's not yours. But when it's yours, he can steal something that is yours. And that's what the enemy's coming to do. He's coming to steal something that is already yours. And he's coming to steal your peace. Why? Because Jesus is the prince of peace. And if he can steal somehow your peace, that means no longer is your attention and your focus on Jesus. It's now upon the circumstances that you're facing. And now you can't be at peace until what happens? Everything gets better. And you're just being real. And I'm telling you, there's a place of peace because the Prince of Peace lives on the inside of you that no matter what storms you're facing, peace is yours. And he's coming to steal your joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our... And if he's got your joy, you lose strength. And if your joy is tied up in circumstances, guaranteed, you're going to be joyful one day, and the next 30 minutes later, you're going to be unjoyful. 
And I don't mean happy-go-lucky all day long. There are moments when I face off with discouragement. There are moments when I face off with anxiousness. There are moments when, and so it's at those moments where it's now I'm going to fight. Are you, are you realizing this? There's a place where I can learn how to rest in the things of God. And then there's a time where the enemy is like, give me everything that's yours. And he has you with a gun to your head saying, I want it right now. And he's intimidating you. There is not a single bullet in that gun, I can tell you that. He's just intimidating you. He's lying to you and he's saying, give it to me right now. Because look at all that you're going through. You cannot have peace in the midst of this. He's coming to steal your victory. Many of you are trying to get victorious over something when it's already yours. He's coming to steal your faith. He is coming to try to get you to no longer believe in the goodness of God. He is trying to convince you that God cannot be good because if he's good, then why is that happening? And why does he allow this? And why are you so long into this situation? And he's coming to steal your rest. He's coming to take your screen so those mosquitoes can have full range <laughs> at all that blood in your body. And the enemy cannot penetrate your heart if you're standing in a place of rest. But I can tell you this, he will always attack your mind. The enemy is not allowed to go here when you're at a place of rest. But he will come after your mind trying to persuade you to think according to the way that he's thinking about whatever it is that he's facing. And I wrote down here is that God speaks to our hearts. I remember Thaddeus when he spoke, he spoke in Luke chapter 24 and it says that they were walking on the road of Emmaus and it says when Jesus disappeared, did our hearts not burn within us when we heard him speak? And that's how God speaks to us is in our heart. But the enemy, how does he speak to you? In your mind. Like when you wake up, I don't have a hundred million good thoughts rolling through my mind. It's like the enemy's ready for a fight. He's getting a, right when you're on your back and he's like, oh, you want to you think some crazy things today? And they'll start to go one after another until you can learn quickly how to hear what God is saying in your heart more than what the enemy is speaking to your mind. But don't allow the rest that I'm talking about keep you from fighting the fight that you've been called to fight. I want to make these two statements very clear. You are not fighting God to get something from him. Okay, everybody in the room, I hope that you embrace that at some level in your life you are not trying to get something from God and trying to fight him for it. You're not trying to persuade him. You're not trying to convince him that you're good enough. God freely what? And, and I want to make this statement very clear, you are not fighting the enemy that is trying to stop you. The enemy is not the one that you are to fight. Why? Because he has been what? Okay, so what are we fighting? What is this thing we're fighting? If we're not fighting God, trying to get something that he already said is ours, and we're not trying to fight the enemy, because if we're fighting the enemy, we're in the wrong ring already. What are we fighting? We are fighting a good fight of faith. This is a huge and big difference, because when you realize that the enemy is not the object of your fight, that God is not the object of your fight, what is the object? Standing in a place of faith. It's standing in a place of receiving what God has for you at this moment inside of your life. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse number 12 says these words. Fight the good fight of what? What kind of fight is it? 
It's a good fight, right? Two reasons. Why? One, because it's worthy fight. When you fight, you're fighting on the side of what God promised. Secondly, it's a fight that you're going to win. It's a fight that you've already won. It's a fight that Jesus secured the victory on the cross. And so I am fighting the good fight of faith. And look what it says here. And I love the language Paul says. He says, lay hold to eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So the fight that we're called to fight is the fight of faith. So what is on trial? Your faith. Your faith is the thing that is being tested. I've heard many people say, oh, I'm just going through a testing. Oh, I'm just being tested. Oh, I'm just going through a test inside of my life. And I want to show you something very specific because when your faith is being tested, not you, but your faith is being tested, the question is this, what do you believe and how long will you believe it? So when I believe that God is good, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took a stand and they said, we will not bow down to you, king. And he says, if you don't, you're going in the furnace. He goes, hey, throw us in the furnace for our God will what? Deliver us. And even if he doesn't, it, we still will not bow down to you. Now look at what the enemy does. What did, what did the king do? He turned it up hotter, exactly, Carl. He turned it up hotter. He went there and he goes, turn it up seven times more. Like that's going to make any difference. Like how hot does it need to be? He burned it. And the two people that were there with him died because it was so hot. And the enemy does the same thing. Oh, you believe in the goodness of God, Justin, on Sunday? Well, watch this week. Let's see if you still believe it by Saturday. No, no. Let's see if you still believe it by Monday. And if you still get up and go, God, you're so good today. And Father, I believe you always have my best in mind and you're always setting me up to succeed today. And so I receive your goodness no matter what I face today. I won't doubt your goodness. Life is going to happen. The enemy is going to go, all right, Tuesday. Let's see if you still believe God's good on Tuesday. And then something hits us hard. We've all faced it where we were blindsided by something we didn't, whoa. back it up <laughs> we're always just fearful of man what could possibly go wrong and then it happens I talked with Mike I didn't talk with Jess but Mike was sharing a story just recently something happened blindsided this past week the question is the enemy goes all right let's see if you believe it now and at some point he's trying to break you at some point, he's trying to get you off of the place where you truly trust God and you're standing in a place of trusting God and faith is what? It's responding to who God is and to what Jesus did for us on that cross. And so God, I'm responding to your goodness and to the Jesus fact that he died for me on that cross. I stand in faith. That is the fight that you're facing. How what do you believe and how long you believe it for? Let's say you believe that God is good. Let's say you believe that God wants to heal and then you get a diagnosis that is completely contrary to that belief. I know Christine has faced off with that. How long? Is it now going on six years? Five years Christine is facing off with something and of course she will be the first to tell you sometimes she's up, sometimes she's down. But one thing I want to say publicly to her and to all of you is I appreciate you haven't quit. 
She's refused to what? Settle. Meaning this is that settling doesn't mean she won't face it. Settling means she's not going to accept it as the final thing inside of her life. And so she is now forced at moments, maybe of breaking. I know Diego just as well, forced. Will you believe God still wants to heal you? And two, how long will you continue to believe it? Because it's easy to believe for 30 days. But for five years? For five years to still stand here today and go, I believe that, Father. Now it may be shaky and that's okay because it's not how big your faith is. It's about the fact that you put your faith in a what? Big God. And so the question is, will you settle for what life brings your way or will you refuse to settle? James 1-2 says it like this. He says, my brother and I want you to what? Count it all joy when you fall into trials. Knowing that the what? Testing of who? Nothing to do about you. This is nothing to do about you whatsoever. The enemy doesn't even care about you. If you're saved, okay, you're going to heaven. He's like, okay, now I'm just going to make their, their life so they don't believe God as they live this life. He's like, this is nothing about you. This is about the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. If you count it all and you can't count it all joy when you're not believing the goodness of God. And so when I count it all joy, now I'm faced with a trial. I know that my faith is being tested. But that faith being tested produces something of greater value than my faith, which is what? Patience, which is endurance. So the more that Christine continues to stand in the place of believing God, what happens? Patience is being produced. And it may be a little seed and then a little, little green little stem and then it may start to bud a little bit, but eventually that patience says, we're gonna make it all the way to the end. And so it's not just your faith that you're trying to hold on and it's gonna, no, patience starts to produce inside of you this ability to endure for longer bouts of time. It's like when you run, you don't just go and run a marathon. No, you run a mile, then you run two miles and then you run three miles and you get it up to like 12 and then 15 and then 18 and you're producing what? Endurance. The more that you're testing your body, the more that it's producing inside of you endurance to keep on running. The same thing is true when you stand in the midst of circumstances and rest in the goodness of God. Patience is being produced inside of your life. And it says, now let the patience have its perfect work. That means it takes time. It takes time not for circumstances to change. Do you realize there is nothing in this verse from James about and the circumstances will turn out for the good it says let patience have its perfect work that you may be what perfect and complete lacking nothing powerful isn't it and so your faith is being tested that word test simply means this to put I don't think I have it on the screen test means to put to proof to see if it's valid or not first Peter 1 6 and 7 says these words and this is, this is Peter writing to a church at the time that was greatly persecuted. So that, that our, oh man, you know, my back, my back really feels bad, pales in comparison to what they were facing. Like they were being persecuted, people were dying for their faith. And so this is what Peter wrote to this church there. He says, in this that you greatly rejoice, though now for a while. Remember that for a while, for a while that light's going to be red, but just keep on driving eventually that while turns into no longer and now it's green you can keep on driving if need be you have been what grieved by various trials 
that the genuineness of your it's about the faith that God is interested in. Will, will you begin to, to continue to believe what I've called you to believe? And the more that you believe it, the more stronger you get in that belief that when circumstances come, it seems like you have a bigger ability to face the blows of life. And it says, being much more than precious or more precious than gold. I mean, it's funny. Some of us would rather misery and a lot of gold than less gold but complete peace and I, I, I remember I picked up my friend Dione Victorin uh, uh, in Michigan one day um, and he had flew in there and he sat in the car and this is what the Lord clearly showed me just in the way that you measure success might be a little off and I got a picture of that man Dione right next to me in that car and I said he is one of the most successful men I know everybody in this room is probably richer than he is but there's something internally that almost nobody I've ever met has that he has. And he's found a place of peace, contentment, joy, harmony with God that I've never witnessed in another human being. And I know that's a successful man right there. Why? It's more precious than any amount of gold, gold you could ever have. Yes, this gold helps us live a better life on this earth, but there is something more precious than that, and it's a genuineness of your faith. And it says, though it, what is? Your faith is what? Tested by fire, may be found by the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here, let me just remind you, don't settle. Don't settle for what life has brought your way. And this idea that I'm talking about, it's a mindset. It's an attitude, it's a determination that you know what, God, you have promised me so much as I look through your scriptures, there's promises and there's promises, there's promises for my kids, there's promises for my marriage, there's promises for, for, for me to have peace and for me to have joy and for me to live in righteousness, there's promises to be victorious over sin, there's promises for me to be overcoming. Father, these are your promises and I'm not gonna settle until that is a reality inside of my life. Until I have the passion that I know that, Father, I have for my first love, I'm not going to settle for you being my second love. I'm not going to settle. I'm refusing to settle. And so this is a mindset. It's a, it's a desperation to saying, God, I want nothing less than what you have to offer me. So that word settle, I want to show you this, means to accept as final what life has brought your way. I don't know what life has brought your way. Maybe growing up, you were abused. And that's what life brought your way. And so now you're going to settle for the pain of what happened when you were a young kid. You're going to settle with that pain and say, I'm going to live with that pain the rest of my life. I'll trust nobody. I'll believe nobody. I will live protected. So what you did is you settled because something happened to you. And life forced you to accept is final. I am what? I'm hurt. Or some of you in this room were spoken something wicked over your life or just condemning or, or just belittling to you. And you know what? It caused you to settle, to say, you know what? That's just who I am. I'm a failure. I'll never amount to this. I'll never be this. Some of you have failed at trying to do something for God or maybe in a business or with a, another group of people and you failed. And so you know what? You're like, you know what? I, I failed. And you settled for what life says that's final in your life, you failed, don't try again. Some of you are settled for a marriage that is just existing. Settled. Have you settled with your kids no longer serving God? You've just settled. You know there's a promise of God for them, but you know what? I just settled. 
Some of us have just settled saying, you know what? This is the way that my body's always going to be. Some of you have settled with no peace or no joy. You just live your life. This is how life is going to be with no joy, no peace. So I don't know where you have. I watched myself settling. Settling into these things that I know God has spoken in my heart, but over time it's like, it's been like four, no, 14, no, 40 years. God, it's been almost 40 years and I haven't seen this thing come through. And so what happens, life has convinced you to accept as final what life has brought your way. And so we just settle for something less than what God has for us. So what's the difference between settle and contentment? You can put that on the screen, Johnny. To settle is self-centered. It mostly comes out of this. Father, I don't deserve what you have for me. Now think about this. God has given you everything that Jesus deserves. It's all yours. You want righteousness? You want peace? You want joy? You want victory? You want freedom? It's yours. And we take a little measure of it. It's like we're waiting for the crumbs to fall off the table and and we're all going after the crumbs. And we settled for something less than what God has for us. Why? Because I just don't deserve it. What's contentment is Jesus-centered. Jesus, you paid for it so I could have it. Now listen to me. I am not talking about, there is nowhere. Just hear my heart with this. There is nowhere in here that's promised a new car, a bigger house, more money, or a happier life. Please hear me. We are so discontented because we think that God somehow, some way, is here to make us more happy. And that our prayers are now so centered around who? Ooh. Right? It's like, I'm here, Lord. What can you do for me today? That is not what I'm talking about. I'm, that, is, that, is, that is not contentment. Contentment is when you go, God, I know what you have for me, and I'm content with what you have for me. Not something I'm trying to produce or manufacture. Yes, if you want the bigger car and the bigger house, all that stuff, but don't make it a God thing. Honestly, if he's blessed you with the means and the income and all those things, enjoy it as, uh, as much as you want. But our contentment is so gone because we are so longing for some things that God never promised, but we're like just begging God for something that he goes, but I have something greater. I don't have happiness for you, but I got joy for you. Like, don't you want my joy? No, I want this to be better. I know, but... You're discontent because of that, but aren't you content with what I gave you in the midst of that? Like your house is still going to stand because it's founded on solid rock. Aren't you content? No, I don't want the storm. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't do that, Justin. That's not who I am. You know what I'm saying? So contentness is this Jesus-centered idea that everything that he has for me, that's what I want. So I'm, I'm not content until I have what he has for me, but I'm not going to make up stuff that I think he should give to me. And so many of us have settled unknowingly for less than what God promised us. And Paul said these words to the church of Corinth. He says, I want to remind you that all of the promises of God are what? They're yes. Now I want you to hear something. All of them are yes. That's a green light to receive freely from God every single day. So I'm not waking up going, man, I I know favor is a promise of yours, Lord, but I don't feel like I deserve it. Right here. So we settle for what? Less than his favor on our life. Lord, I know your mercies are brand new every day, 
but I don't deserve it. And we may not say those words, but we feel it. And we don't ask him or we don't receive from him. Why? Because that feeling of not deserving it says, you know what? I'll just take a measure. Whatever you gave me yesterday, and this, uh, please hear me because it's just coming to my mind. Remember he told the children of Israel, hey, when you go out and get manna, only get it for what? Today. Do not take what is for today as a measure and then just try how, somehow, hey guys, just eat a little bit less today, okay? We want to carry this thing over tomorrow because we want to be we want to be good stewards of this manna that God gave us. He said, no, no, no. I have more where that comes from. And the same thing is with mercy. And sometimes we take mercy for a Sunday and we're feeling good. We're like, God, I want your mercy today. And then we just hold on to that mercy all week long. You know what? That mercy has an expiration date at 12 p.m. midnight. And there's now new mercies that are now for us that we are to receive brand new mercies that day just as well are you following me and so that word amen simply means so be it so all of his promises are what yes and amen so be it so every trial this may speak to some specific people in this room every trial comes with a promise of what his patience isn't it interesting every trial comes with a promise of patience not changing the circumstance I want that to settle in for a moment because the promise he gives us is patience, but we're asking him for what? To change it. Why? Because it's about us. I'm not happy with what I'm facing, so change it, Lord. Rather than, Lord, I just receive your patience so I can endure this with joy. And I cannot embrace what I'm going through and hold on to it because I'm not settling. Christine, I hope she comes out with the attitude of going, you know what, God? I thank you for my healing, but even before I walk in my total healing, I thank you that patience is being produced inside of me so that every day I can endure and just have joy of the Lord because I know I'm not settling for this is final authority in my life. That what the stroke did five years ago is not the final say inside of her life, but the fact that she's still battling is not the fact that she settled. No, she's still battling, amen? She's still swinging every single other day, maybe. Sometimes she just wants to rest, but sometimes Diego gets in the way, and <laughs> I know how that is. Every loss comes with the promise of what? Comfort. He's not going to bring that person back. Sometimes we lost a job. Sometimes we lost a person in our life. Sometimes we lost a relationship. Or we lost out on an opportunity. And those things may never come back, but he says, you know what? I'm the God of all comforts. And it's when I give you, when you have loss, I promise you that you'll have uh, this promise of comfort in the midst of that loss. Every hurt comes with a promise of healing. Every hurt by every other person doesn't come with a promise of, I'll get them back, Justin. Now, vengeance is him, so he wants to do whatever he wants to do with those who hurt you, by all means. But I remember those two disciples that said, do you want us to just rain down fire and brimstones on that town over there? And Jesus looked at him and he said, you have no clue what spirit you're saying that out of. And some of us are wishing things upon people that did us wrong, and we have no clue what spirit it is that is causing us to say those things. So every hurt comes with a promise of what? Healing. Not doing away with that person, not him doing his uh, Evan Almighty or Bruce Almighty to that person, but it comes with a what? 
a promise of healing and so I can receive the healing in the midst of the hurt. But isn't it interesting, it's almost like you have to let him work on that. And that's the hardest thing about hurt is we want to now project it and say, well, they did that. And he goes, I know, I just want to heal you. Yeah, but they're still alive, Lord. <laughs> How's that going to work? That doesn't make sense. Hurt them, they're alive. You're healed? No, okay, you know. My healing may happen when they are done. Every lack comes with a promise of provision. Every setback, and I, I hate to be cliche here, but I truly believe it, every setback does come with a promise that he's going to bring you back. Every worry comes with a promise of peace. And every fear that we face comes with, with a promise of, of faith and courage. And every addiction that you have, every addiction that you struggle with, it comes with a promise of freedom. So refuse to settle. Refuse to settle. Tony, you just let me know when I'm done, okay? Oh, Tony's gone. <laughs> Mackenzie? Okay. Tony, you just let me know, okay? You stand up and say, okay, you've gone too long, okay? That's my wife, Mike, too. Refuse to settle or settle for what life brings you away. That's my message this morning is just refuse to settle for less than what God says, this is yours. We just talked about last three weeks, we talked about righteousness, but many of us have settled with guilt, condemnation, and shame. Why? Because we deserve it. And so we settled because we don't deserve that, but I do deserve shame. I do deserve condemnation. I do deserve to feel guilty. And so I settle with these things. This is who I am. I will live with these things. And God's over here saying, I have a gift of righteousness for you and I have an abundance of grace to you. Will you receive it? No, no, no. God, God, I don't deserve it. Of course you don't. That's why I'm giving it to you. And now it seems like we're being presumptuous and I feel like God is just saying, will somebody please be presumptuous with me? Will somebody please try to go beyond what you're allowed to do with me? Like, will somebody try to receive more than what I have to offer? Like, will somebody try to receive more than abundance of grace? Will somebody try to receive more righteousness? Will somebody try to, to, do, to, to, to courageously do something for God that is beyond your comfort zone? And then he can go, I never asked you to do that. You're like, well, I thought Justin said be presumptuous. And he's probably like, you know what? Bravo, I'm even trying. But let's peel it back a little bit. Will somebody do that rather than be hesitant to receive from God? And I believe that's what he's calling us as sons and daughters who just freely go into the kitchen, open up the, 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 the refrigerator and grab the pop. Like, don't just go, mommy, um, I know I'm 21, but can I, can I get something out of the fridge, please, please, please? Do you mind? Is that okay? I don't, I'll, just, I'll just drink a little bit. I'll put it right back. No, that's not how he wants us. He wants us to walk in the house, go to the fridge, take out that pop called peace and say, I'll take it all today, Lord. And then go get some righteousness and go get some grace and go get some goodness. Go get some favor this morning. Drink it all because it's yours. It's what it's there for. And Paul said these words in Philippians chapter three. Tony, I'm so tempted to say how much more time I'm gonna go for. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. That's a refusing to settle. I've been obtained, I have not already been perfected, but I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of for me. And brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended it, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I'm what? 
I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead and I'm pressing toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of those in Christ Jesus. And then I'm pressing on. I'm refusing to settle for less than what I know God has for me. Do you know what he has for all of us? To reign over cities when we get to heaven. He doesn't want us crawling into heaven going, oh good, I made it. Dear Lord, I'm so glad I made it. <laughs> like Lord, I don't even have to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Just say, please let me in. Please, please let me in. That's not, no, Paul is saying, man, press towards something greater to earn a place in heaven where he goes, you know what? I gave you five, but here's five more. I gave you one, but here's two more. I gave you 10, but here's 10 more. That's what I'm pressing toward. I'm living for eternity. I'm living my life that one day he's gonna look back and go, man, you were faithful, Justin, and you did it with an attitude of joy. He goes, I'm gonna reward you for that. So I'm not living for salvation. Jesus secured that. I'm living now for eternity and what God awaits for me when I get there. So faith refuses to settle. It means that I, I endure until I see whatever it is I see. And I don't say this, I say this with no doubt and no trying to say anything other than what I'm going to say, if that made any sense. Christine, just keep on fighting even to the day that God takes you home one day to be with him. No matter if you see the full manifestation, which we believe you will, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, it makes no difference. Why? I'm not bowing to that. I live by a different reality. And so I'm refusing to settle for whatever it is. Life said, this is how it's going to be for you. I remember the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, I'll quickly go through these little examples. What did he do? He came to the house with his four friends who were carrying him on a bed. They came to the house and it said these words in Mark chapter 2. The house was what? To full capacity. Do you know what that means? If this place was full capacity, somebody came in and they go, ah, you know what? I'll come another time. But this person said, I'm sure he was on the mat going, guys, do not leave this place without with me in this on this mat whatever it takes get me to jesus and there is this determination that this is how life told me i will be everybody knows i will be this way my whole life but i also know there's a, a man named jesus and i'm refusing and his friends refuse to settle for you know what hey the house is full man let's get him what next time and there's a determination that they go no no wait there's a roof i'm sure nobody's standing on the roof i'm sure there's nobody tall enough where their heads are by the roof let's go up to the roof and let's open it up the roof let's mess this meeting up okay why because i am not settling for being in this mat anymore because jesus is in there and i'm out here and there's an attitude to it many of us are resting in jesus we're resting on the handbook and going Oh, Lord, I just thank you that you're just going to do all these things to me. And God's like, fight the good fight of faith. Like, be in rest, but go fight. Some of us aren't fighting. Some of us are just settling at a place where whatever will be, will be. What does Doris Day sing it? Okay, Sarah, Sarah, right? What a, what a horrible song, but beautiful song. <laughs> How about the woman with the issue of blood? I want to read these words real quick. It says, a, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent 
all that she had and she was what? No better, but actually she grew worse. And then it says, the next few words says, and she heard that Jesus was around. And there's something inside of us when we point toward Christ going, you know what? I'm not settling. If Jesus is here, I want him. And if Jesus is there, I know that he has everything that he deserves because of that cross and what he did for me in exchange for me. I want it too. I want the Prince of Peace to fill me with his peace. I want the good tidings of great joy to be inside of me so I'm filled with joy no matter what I face. I want his righteousness to now to be to my righteousness and I'm gonna go after it until I start to walk in it. And so did she do. She pressed through the crowds knowing that if she got caught, she would be put away. And she pressed through until what? She found Jesus. She grabbed the hem because she said to herself, if I but just touch his hem, I will be made well. So where have you settled? Where have you allowed life to say, this is how it's going to be for you? I think about the prayer team ladies. And she shares the story both Judy's have for a while about three years of a point of giving up. I, I talk, I, Elizabeth, just as well, of going, you know what? I'm, I'm just done. I don't see God doing what he's, I, I believed he was going to do. And, and they finally found a place called New Day. And I believe you're an integral part to what God is going to do because you've been waiting for something to release and you refuse to what? Settle, but there was a point in your life where you're like, this is what life is going to be like. But I love Jesus and I love the Holy Spirit where he goes, Keep on coming, keep on coming, keep on coming. And I love that's what about a coach in, in sports. It's like when you do one mile, they go, okay, keep on going. We're going to do another mile. And you're like, I can't do anymore. And then you get to the point, you're like, I just ran three miles today, coach. I did it. I pushed through. I pressed on. And so I want to encourage you all with this, just this one-time message, refuse to settle. For whatever life has brought your way and said, this is final in your life, you will always be hurt. You'll always be a failure, you'll always be this, you'll always be this, you'll never be this, you won't do this, you won't accomplish this because of your age. It will all, it'll tell you all a bunch of stupid lies. And I just want to encourage you to believe again, to believe the promises of God and to believe in the goodness of God, to rest in Him, but to not stop fighting, to not give up. Would you please stand with me this morning? If you feel like there was an area in your life where you felt like you started to settle into a certain place, just raise your hand. I just want to bless you this morning with these words. Keep your hands raised. Father, I just speak right now in Jesus' name over every single person in this room. The ones who have settled because life has just found a way to convince them that your promises are not coming to pass. So I'm asking you right now by your spirit, Lord, to reignite inside of them a belief. To reignite inside of them hope for tomorrow, hope for your promises, because faith is the substance of those things hoped for. And so, Father God, do what you do best. Meet them right where they're at. 
Father, speak in the language that they speak and be and cause them to be encouraged to go back out and to go after what it is that they need. Father, if they're outside that house, that they'll break down that ceiling. If they're that woman with their issue of blood, they'll press through the crowd to go and touch the hem, the hem of, of Jesus. If they're that, that lady in the, the book of Kings that her son died, that she found the man of God and the man of God came and laid, laid upon that baby and it was healed. I don't know what it is, but don't stop believing. Keep on believing. Keep on hoping. I speak that into your hearts this morning. I speak that over to your minds, that whatever lies that you believed, whatever lies the enemy has spoken to your, to, 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 to your thoughts and to your hearts, that those things fall by the wayside and that God's goodness will arise, that you'll believe again. You'll believe that God can turn it around. You'll believe that God will do what he said he's going to do. And you'll rest in his goodness and in who he is. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.